First Peter chapter four. And if you guys wouldn't mind standing as I read, I'm going to read verses 12 through 19. That's originally what I was going to preach today, but we're going to just do 12 and 13. So 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may, receive, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You guys can be seated. Father, we come to you one more time, Lord, and we ask that you would, that your spirit would minister to us, Lord, that you would give us understanding, Father, to obey what your word says to, and to do it with joy. And Lord, we pray most of all that your son would be glorified, Father, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, the title of the message today is The Expectation of Suffering. And that's really what we're gonna. That's really gonna be the main, the main point, or the main point, or the main point, or the main point is that we should expect suffering, which is really why I decided to not to try to cover this entire section, but really look at these first two verses because I think it's, as I was studying it, I think it's really important for us, all Christians, to to expect suffering, but really just I think us, the church, and the West. That we just need to be aware, we need to expect this and not be caught off guard. So the title of the message, once again, is The Expectation of Suffering. And I think having the proper expectation of suffering, guys, is half the battle. If we know what to expect, that can be half the battle. It's, it's when you encounter something that you're not expecting that people can be, really, they can, uh, their life can be thrown off kilter. You know, I think of my son, our oldest son, who's uh, recently become a firefighter, and and going into that, he had some expectation, or he knew what to expect, what it what it took to be a firefighter. You know, Tyler's not the most, um, you know, I wouldn't consider him as somebody who just loves studying, you know, not book savvy, but he knew that there was a lot of studying to be done. Uh, to pass, you know, the EMT test. And he, and he knew that. He knew the expectation. He knew that he might fail, and he did fall, fail the first time. But because he knew what to expect, he persevered. Um, I, think of, I think of Josh, our, our doctor to be, you know, I'm sure you know what to expect. <laughs> Before you go into a, a career path like that, 
I'm sure Josh had an idea of the, of the amount of hours and the amount of sacrifice it was going to take. Because if you didn't, and you got into it, you'd say, the heck with this. But it, it, it enables you to endure. I think of, of what I'm doing now these past two years. Um, taking this church plant, pastoring. I'm thankful for the men who spoke into my life. And they, and they gave me an idea of what to expect. They said, it'll be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. It can, now, it is the most joyful as well. Some of the most joyous times, but it is hard. It is difficult. It is um, not, I don't want to like paint a bad picture, but, but there's a lot of depression that comes with it. A lot of spiritual warfare that comes with it. A lot of opposition. A lot of letdown. All of these things, but I knew what to expect. If I didn't know what to expect, I don't know that I would have stayed with it. Um, I think of the Navy SEALs. Cody and I were watching a show on the Navy SEALs and what those guys go through to become a Navy SEAL. And I'm sure most of those guys know what to expect. And as I was watching that, because I don't do real well in water, I can swim, but all the tests and you know the distances they have to swim, the amount of time they have to hold their breath, I thought with, with, with that expectation, maybe I could be an Army Ranger back in the day, but not a Navy SEAL. And so we have to know what to expect. Anytime we're going to, you know, uh, because in all these things I just mentioned, they're in, a, in an essence, they're suffering. There's things you got to battle through. And if we're in, in the context today, if we're going to endure suffering, more than that, if we're going to rejoice in suffering, specifically suffering in the context of persecution, that's what this whole section is about, then we must not be naive to the reality of suffering. We must not be, be naive to it. And so, with those things, just as a way to help us to think about being having this expectation, let's catch up real quickly in our thoughts to where we're at. Because we, we skipped this last week and we, we did something different. So, just real quickly, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, leading up to verse 12, if you guys remember, a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, we did the first few verses, and it talked about, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. And we spent a lot of time talking about that phrase, and I believe the ESV says, arm yourselves with, this, with the same thinking. So the whole idea is that we need to think like Christ. We need to have the same mindset of Christ as we move forward in this Christian life. We need to embrace suffering with the mindset of Christ. In other words, we really need to have an eternal mindset. And then we, we went down through those verses and, it, and, and we talked about you know, that we wasted enough time in, in our lives living for those lusts of the flesh and, and now having this... Thinking like Christ were to pursue the will of God, if you guys remember that. And then and we talked about how, how, the, how judgment day is coming for the unbelieving world. And we're to endure the opposition of this world as we, as we pursue the will of God. And so as a, as a natural result of pursuing, pursuing the will of God, the will of God is back up in, in verse 2 where it says, Live not the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So we, we have to have this mind of Christ. We have to think like Christ. And as a natural result of pursuing the will of God, specifically in our, in our context, when you think of the, 
the areas of evangelism, when you, take, when you think of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world, whether it be your family, your friends, strangers, you will endure suffering from a world that is offended by the gospel. That's the context here. They're offended by the gospel that you're going to preach. If you preach the gospel faithfully, the world is going to be offended. We have to expect that. It doesn't matter how loving you are. The, the message of the gospel is offensive to the natural man. It just is. And so we can't be naive to that. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 15, or chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. For we, the church, those who preach the gospel, we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma of life to life. The gospel has an aroma about it. It's got a sweet aroma to those who have been called by God, to those who have ears to hear. But I'm going to tell you what, you preach the gospel, and to some people you're going to be a stench. You're going to be a stench. The gospel, more specifically, is going to be a stench. And so the main point today, guys, the, the, the main point that I want us to take away from today is actually, as I thought about it, uh, where's it at? Where's my copy at? Your, uh, the front of your bulletin. I don't know where I put mine. Front of your bulletin. Somebody read that. <laughs> somebody read the front of your bulletin. Where'd mine go? So somebody read that out loud. Expect and rejoice in the suffering that your father brings for your testing. Okay, so I tried to just sum up the message on, on that. Expect, expect, expect the suffering, rejoice in the suffering, because it's your father who brings it and he does it for our good, for our testing. Okay, so that's the summary of today's message. That's the main point. That we're to expect suffering, we're to rejoice in suffering. God's the one that sends it, and He does it to test us for our good, to refine us. Okay? So I think, I think today's really important to emphasize this before we move on, and we'll finish that section next week. So I've got two headings today, two points today, with two subpoints under each one. The first one is this is to expect suffering. Okay, expect suffering. This is going to be in verse 12. He starts out by saying, beloved. That phrase is just a word of endearment. Okay, it's a word of endearment, a pastoral word to the people of God. That's why, again, I chose this word when we planted the church. I hope you guys don't mind that I call you beloved. I do it for a reason. That is your identity in Christ. You are beloved by God. Okay, you're beloved by God because you are in Christ. So he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. So this first point we're going to see is to expect suffering. And just listen to, the, um, listen to three verses I'm going to read. We're going to hear from the Apostle John. We're going to hear from the Apostle... Or we're going to hear from Christ. We're going to hear from the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John. And think of this... Think of this reality that we're talking about today. Expect suffering as I read these texts. John 15, 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. You hear Jesus. You guys need to expect this. You need to understand if the world hates 
if the world hates you, you know that it hated me first. Okay? And we know that he says in another place that a disciple is not greater than his master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Right? Expect it. Don't be caught off guard when it happens. I've seen people so distraught from a negative response from somebody they know towards their faith that it just almost just completely destroys them. We have to understand that this is a reality. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.12 Timothy, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You hear that? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Does that mean everybody will be burned at the stake? No. Does that mean everybody will be stoned to death? No. Does that, does that mean everybody will go to prison? No. Some of us may. Some of us may not. Does that mean you're going to be persecuted 24 hours a day? No. Not anywhere, even in the worst persecution, is it, is it just constant all the time. It's going to be different levels at different times in different areas, but the promise is all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We must expect it. We must expect it. And then, and then the Apostle John in his epistle, 1 John 3, 13. Do not be surprised. He uses the same language that Peter's using in this text we're looking at today. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Do you hear that? Expect it. Expect suffering. Again, that is the... <laughs> That is the main point of the main point that I want you to take home today. Expect suffering. Expect opposition in this world if you want to follow Christ. And that phrase that Peter uses, that, that John used, but that's here in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. That's really the emphasis on this whole expectation. He says, don't be surprised. The, the, the word means don't be astonished. Don't be shocked. At the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be astonished. Don't be shocked. Beloved, the gospel again, the gospel itself, the gospel message. What is the gospel message? That man is dead in their sin, that they are sinners. That we deserve hell? That, that's not... A, a, to a natural man, what the Bible says, a natural man, somebody who's not born of God's Spirit, that message is very offensive. Okay, The Gospel is not Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and wants to give you all of your, all of your greeds. That's not the Gospel. The Gospel is you are dead in your sin. You are helpless you can't save yourself. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Christ. Christ must save you. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must trust in this, this one who died upon a tree. Yes, a man died upon the cross 2,000 years ago. And apart from that, you have no hope of eternal life. That's an offensive message. But we must remember that. We must remember. One of the things that I have loved about the public preaching on the streets for the last 12 and a half years of my life 
is I am reminded of this. I am reminded of it. I am reminded of it by seeing it. Not just seeing it on the pages of Scripture, but seeing it. Because we can forget real easily when we're just around other Christians. We, we forget the reaction to the simple Gospel message. You know what the cross says? The cross says you are wrong. Nobody, nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. And so the question, the question that we hear, Shiloh, you know what I'm going to say. The question that we hear, I've heard it everywhere I've preached outdoors, everywhere, different places in this city, different states, different countries. Why do you preach here? Why don't you go over there? Why don't you go there? Why do you preach here? And you know what I think is behind that question? And it doesn't mean that's behind it every time, but I think primarily what's behind that question, it's the offense of the cross. What's so wrong with us? Maybe they don't understand the full message of the gospel, but they understand that the cross in some way, in some way it says, you're a sinner and you need help. And that's offensive. Why do you come here? We're good. That's why I think that question's asked. There's something wrong with you. That's why we preach here. And we have the solution. Because we love you. And I'm serious. I've been asked that every place I've preached. Why do you go here? Why don't you go preach there? I do. We do. And that will always be the case. They probably ask the apostles the same thing. Why do you come to Athens? The cross. They are offended by the fact that Christ and His Gospel says there is no other way to heaven. And if, you, and if you say there is, you're wrong. It's offensive. So beloved, don't be surprised. Okay? Don't be surprised. God has told us in His, wor- in His Word how the world will respond. Amen? Very clear. We heard it from multiple writers in the Bible. So, the main point, the main heading, the first heading was expect suffering with two subpoints under it about this suffering. What is the purpose of it? First of all, what is the purpose of it? Or, or the purpose of it? And the purpose of it is, is testing. It's right there in the verse 12. For, for testing. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, okay? The fiery ordeal among you, that phrase, it portrays, in this context, it portrays a painful experience of persecution, okay? That's what's going on here, a painful experience of persecution. The Christians in that day, guys, as most of y'all have probably heard this, but they would not confess Caesar as Lord. That was their number one crime. They would not confess Caesar as Lord. They were referred to in that day as atheists. The Christians were. Because they would not confess Caesar as Lord as well as all of the other pantheon of gods. And also we know when we talked about this, uh, the context of this letter that Nero had set fire to Rome and blamed the Christians. So they were under persecution for that as well. In other words, Peter's readers in that day, the Christians in that day, they were not welcome. <laughs> they were not welcome. And it's the same as today. We are not welcome 
and loved by this present evil world system. Okay? It's the present evil world system is what fuels ungodly governments. Okay? Because if you look at in church history where, where really you get into a lot of persecution, the people of God truly being persecuted, it comes from the state and powered by the world system. Powered by the God of this world. Those that have authority. The Antichrist spirit. And so we're not welcome. The gospel message is not welcome in this present evil world system. So there's naturally going to be opposition. And, and also on a personal level when you're dealing with individual people. So this, this fiery ordeal, beloved, is describing persecution. It's trial by fire. But it's being used by God for a purpose. That's what this, this first subpoint we're looking at. It's this, this persecution, this suffering, this fiery ordeal, it's being used by God for a purpose to refine us. This testing. It's the picture on the front of your bulletin that my wife made. The, the diamond, right? The diamond that's uh, purified in the fire, right? All the impurities are removed from it and you come out with this beautiful diamond. Like a furnace melting down metal to purge the impurities. That's what happens. That's how God uses trials in our life. All trials. All kinds of suffering. Psalm 66.10, we hear this language. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. That's what God... God has a purpose in our suffering. He has a purpose in our trials. And it's to refine us. It's to sanctify us. To make us like Christ. Back in chapter 1, Peter, Peter commented on this in, in verses six, through, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God uses suffering for our good. Okay? He uses it for our good. He's not so interested in our comfort as He is as our, as our Christ-likeness. Okay? It refines us. Suffering refines us, it showing, showing us things in our life that need to go. Sinful attitudes, selfishness, worldliness. God uses suffering to draw us closer to Christ as we suffer in His name. That phrase, for your testing. That phrase, for your testing, guys, the idea is, is, is this adversity, affliction, trouble which is sent by God and it serves to, to test us or to prove. That's, that's the word behind this test. To prove one's character, faith, and holiness. Suffering proves those things. It shows us as we suffer and we're, and we're drawn closer to Christ. We don't walk away from Christ, but we're drawn closer. It proves one's character. 
through suffering. Another thing persecution and suffering does, guys, it, by way of testing, it also, it, it also tests the genuineness of saving faith. It can show a person that their, that their faith truly might not be saving through testing, through persecutions. Flip over to Matthew 13. We can see this. So it's, it's testing for the believer to show us really kind of where we're at in our faith, to show us the maturity of our faith, but it can also show a person maybe that they have a false conversion. Matthew 13, we're going to read verses 3 through 5 and then verses 20 and 21. Matthew 13, 3 through 5. And he, Jesus, spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Okay, so think of a farmer, a sower. And as he sowed, some, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Verse 5. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. Now look over at verses 20 and 21. He, he explains it. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This is the man who he hears the gospel and he makes a response. It's even a joyful response to the gospel. Verse 21. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So we see, we see, and why did he fall away? Did he lose his salvation? No. It was revealed that he, was, he went away because he never was of us. And it, and it just took some trials and persecution to reveal that this, this man who had made a profession of faith a, was even joyful when persecution came, he fell away. But for the true believer, God tests us and He strengthens us. And we draw closer to Christ. So testing can be used, or, or persecution can be used to test, to test us where we're at, whether we're even Christians or not. And as Christians, you know, maybe some weaknesses, some areas in our faith, Maybe some sinful attitudes we have. All of these things. God uses these things not so He can find out where we're at, but to show us. You guys see that? So God uses it to test, to test us. Secondly, second sub-point under, under this uh, suffering is it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. Still in verse 12. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Some strange thing. Why am I being persecuted? Why am I suffering this? That word, that phrase, some strange thing, has the idea of unusual or uncommon. Okay? Unusual, uncommon, or, or it happens without the knowledge. Without knowledge. Something new, in other words. I didn't have any knowledge that this was going to happen. 
This is uncommon. This is unusual. I'm the only one that is suffering for Christ. That's why Peter says, don't be surprised as though some strange thing were happening. As though something unusual is happening to you. You're suffering for Christ. As something that's uncommon to other believers. What's he saying? You need to expect it. It's not something strange. It's not unusual. It's not uncommon. Go back and read the Bible. Read all the people who, 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 who followed Christ, who preached for Christ, and, and the opposition they faced. This is nothing new. That's what he's saying. This is nothing new. Peter is comforting these believers that they're not alone. You're not alone in your suffering. This is not some strange thing. This is not some novel thing, some new thing. You're not alone. And God hasn't forsaken you in this. God isn't forsaken you because you're suffering in His name. He is present in their suffering. And so guys, this is all geared towards us. We need to expect suffering. And when you do suffer, when you do suffer the pushback, it could be people in your family. It could be people on your, on your job that some of you guys have mentioned. You're not alone. It's not some weird thing. It's not strange. You're, you're in God's will. God hasn't forsaken you. He is present in your suffering. In a sense, He's even closer than usual when you suffer in His name. We can see that. We'll look at that next week. But look at verse 14. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's an intimacy with Christ when you suffer for Him, with Him. Again, I said I, I can't really explain it. All I know is I've experienced it. And also, guys, it's, it doesn't happen by chance. This suffering, it's not, it doesn't take God by surprise. It's not by chance. Look at verse 6 again in chapter 1. We talked about that several weeks ago. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Well, we all go through trials, right? So it must be necessary in the will of God because He sends us through trials again and again and again. He must, he must see that it's necessary in our life. It's not by chance, in other words, guys, but it's rather by the appointment, by an appointment of our sovereign God in His providence in your life that you suffer. Acts 14.22 Luke says this, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When we think about doing the will of God, when we think about chapter 4, when we think about thinking like Christ, when we think about we don't want to waste our life on the lust of men that we waste so much time on, but we now we want to, we want to follow Christ. We want to do the will of God. So when we think about doing the will of God, when we think about preaching the gospel, you guys know when I say preaching the gospel, it doesn't just mean this, what I'm doing. It's when you talk to your children about Christ, you're preaching the gospel. Your neighbor, your parents, stranger, preaching the gospel. Doing the will of God. When we preach the gospel, when we baptize those who come to Christ, when we teach them 
all that He commanded us that we read earlier. We need to remember this, guys, that when we do these things, there's a promise. We read it in the catechism. Jesus said, I am with you always. I am with you always. He was with Stephen when he was stoned to death. He was with Paul when his head was chopped off. He was with our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who lost their lives. He's with our brothers and sisters in China. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have to expect suffering and we have to know that we're not in it alone. It's not some strange thing. You could be in the you could be isolated in a prison all by yourself, but it's not a strange thing and Christ is with you. You could be the butt of jokes at your job, in your family. Christ is with you. The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you when you're reviled for His name and you don't revile back. He is with you. It's a promise. We have to expect it. So be encouraged with this. Beloved, be encouraged. Okay, so we should expect suffering. We should realize that it's for our good and that it's not some strange thing. And now in verse 13, our second heading is to rejoice in suffering. Okay, not just to expect it, but to rejoice in it. And again, if you forget, if you forget, if you forget the flow of the sermon, just look on your, the front of your bulletin. We should rejoice in suffering. Look at verse 13, the word but. The word but, that, that means there's a, he's, he's contrasting verse 13 with verse 12. So what did he say in verse 12? Don't be surprised, right? So he's saying instead of being shocked by the suffering you're going through or you're going to go through, instead of being shocked or surprised, you should rejoice. You see that? So it's not just be like flatlined about it. No, rejoice in, in suffering with, for Christ. How many OU football fans we got in here? Got any? Dylan, you OU football fan? <laughs> okay, so some of you guys may know when I say a name, Smitty. So Smitty is the, is the strength and conditioning coach that was just hired. Smitty is known to be a hardcore, old school, get the guys in shape, but you're going to go through you're going to go through a lot to get there. He came in with Bob Stoops 20-something years ago. Anyway, he's been away from the program. He's brought back. And so, so I was thinking about this. Those players, those players shouldn't be, instead of being shocked, instead of being discouraged at the pain they're going through when he's putting them through it, they should rejoice in it. Why should they rejoice in it? Because in the end, he's going to make them a better player. It may be the difference between them going to the NFL or not because of, because of him. Between them winning 10 games instead of eight, they should rejoice in the fact. And I've heard players say, yeah, we get through it, man. He, he was the difference. So it's this rejoicing. We need to rejoice in, in, in our suffering because God is at work for our good. And so the first thing we see under this second heading is, is the cleansing effect of suffering. The cleansing effect of suffering. It says this, verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. But to the degree. That could be said as, according as, in so far as, in proportion as, 
inasmuch as. In other words, as our suffering increases, it should increase our joy. Now, that doesn't sound like something the world's going to tell you, does it? Now, usually God's ways are not the world's ways. But that's what's happening here. As our suffering increases, it should increase our joy. If we've truly, if we're thinking like Christ, if we're following after Christ, if we're having an eternal mindset and we know what's ahead of us and we know who Christ is, we know why we're suffering, we know the reward that awaits us, it should actually increase our joy. A couple scriptures real quickly to see this. Acts 5, verse 41. After being flogged, okay, by the authorities, the apostles, it says, so they, the apostles, went on their way from the presence of the council. And what were they doing? Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. Oh, I love that verse. Would I, would I do that? I hope so. But they were counted worthy. Or, or they were rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. Do we remember who our Savior is? That He is the eternal God, the eternal King, and that He chose you for salvation? He chose you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He set His love upon you. And just like He said of Paul, He said, I chose him to be an, to be an instrument of mine to the Gentiles, and I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer for my sake. And we, we saw how much Paul had to suffer. Paul said, this suffering I'm going through pales in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed on that day. We have to have an eternal mindset and think like these men and consider it a privilege to suffer for Christ, the One who gave His life for us. He gave His life for us, guys, so that we wouldn't have to spend in an eternity under the judgment of God, His wrath in hell. The least we can do is suffer for Him. Acts 16.25 In prison, at about midnight, Paul and Silas, what were they doing? Were complaining. Were moaning and groaning. Okay, you guys know your Bible. I see Paul smiling. That's not what it says. It says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? Singing. This is, they're rejoicing. They're praying. They're singing hymns of praise to God. And I love this last phrase. I just caught it this morning as I was looking over it. And the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them. What a, what a witness they were being to these men. And, and of course, you keep reading, one of them was saved by the grace of God. The, the prisoners were listening. And beloved, when we rejoice in our sufferings, when, when we are reviled and we don't revile in return, when we're kind to those who persecute us, when we're joyful, when it actually strengthens us, do you know the prisoners are listening? Those who are in prison to their sin? Those who are dead in their sin? Those who have are enslaved to their sin? They are, they are prisoners and slaves to their sin, to darkness. And they see it. They say, this man's rejoicing. This man's joyful. This man is kind. And I was just ugly to him. They're listening. I just heard, I think this past week, I listened to so much that sometimes I hear, I forget where I hear it or where I read it. 
but I just heard this past week, I forget who was saying this, but believers in China, many of them wonder how the Western church can be, can be holy because we suffer so little. You see, they understand that, that through suffering, God makes us holy. And so they wonder, how can the, how can the church in the West be holy if they don't suffer? And then, and then he said this. He said, many of those believers in China, they test their maturity by how many times they've been imprisoned. How do we do it? We go, well, how many times did you attend church this past two months? Well, I made it five times. Oh, you're holier than me. Those believers over there, it's a different world. The way they see it is, you haven't been in prison for your faith. You must not be being faithful. So it's a different mindset. It's a different mindset. But it's a what a what a uh, what an eye opener that is. How much that other believers who are just like us guys, they have the same. They have families. They have the same cares and concerns, and, and yet they're just in a place where they truly suffer. How much we can learn from them. How much we can be encouraged by them. I encourage you guys to um, you know read read testimonies. Whether it be through heart cry, um, or voice of the martyr, some of these, and, and read about what our what the church goes through in the world, it gives you something to pray about. Eventually, I want our church to um, support foreign missions, but I'll, I'll speak to that another time. <sighs> Beloved, when we faithfully and joyfully endure suffering. Because of persecution, whether it's on your job, with your family, wherever it's at, we are demonstrating a heavenly mindset. When we can endure suffering faithfully and joyfully, we are demonstrating that we truly do have a heaven. We truly do have a heavenly mindset. We are truly, like verse one says in chapter four, thinking like Christ. In other words, we have our priorities in line. When we think like Christ, what, did, what does the Bible say about Christ? It says, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. He knew what was coming. But it says, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. The joy in accomplishing the Father's will. The joy in dying for His people whom the Father had chose. Whom He laid down His life for. May we be willing, beloved, may we be willing to joyfully endure persecution and suffering by obeying His will so that God's sheep can hear His Gospel. Are you willing to endure suffering so that God's people out there who, who have not come to Christ yet can hear and come? He said, I will save My people from their sins. To illustrate this, in Acts 18, 9 and 10, listen to this. Maybe you've read this before and just kind of passed over it, didn't understand what it was saying. It's very encouraging. Acts 18, 9 and 10. 
And the Lord, Jesus, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll see it in red letters. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you. Why? For I have many people in this city. You know what he's saying? Paul, you go preach. Nobody's going to harm you because you're under my divine sovereignty and I have people, my people, whom you came or whom Christ came to die for, they haven't heard yet. And you're going to go preach and they're going to hear and they're going to be converted. You see how sovereign God is? You see, that, that is a, what a testimony that is to reformed doctrine. We go preach because we know Jesus said, I will save my people from their sins. They just need to hear. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Even if you do suffer, even if you suffer to the point of death, don't be afraid, right? Absent from body, present from the Lord. We can't lose. Do you see that? You can't lose in Christ's economy. You cannot lose. We're to go preach and allow God to draw in His church. To allow God to draw in His elect. And it happens through the preaching of the Gospel. That's why we need to testify that we are not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. For the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? He's got people in every nation, every tribe, every tongue. That's why we take the Gospel to the whole world. Because God has His people there that He's going to save. It's about loving God and loving neighbor. And beloved, we have to let go of this world, okay? We've got to let go of this world. We have to realize that the riches and comforts of this life cannot compare to the joy that we experience as we share the sufferings of Christ. As we bear the reproach that this world hurls, it's not truly at us, it's at Him. Okay, When somebody attacks you for Christ, they can't attack Him physically. So they're, they're attacking the servant. And so as we bear the reproach that this world is hurling at Christ, we are also looking to the reward. Turn to Hebrews 11 real quickly. And we'll see this. Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 27. Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. We'll see Moses' mindset. Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. It says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. You see that? He considered the reproaches of Christ. That's interesting that it says Christ there. But he, he, he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. I had originally just had that verse, and I looked at verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, 
not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. He had this eternal mindset, his eyes focused upon his God, and he was able to endure. But this whole idea, guys, that we have got to see Christ is so precious. As suffering for Christ is so precious than all the money that the world can throw at you. It's all going to perish, guys. It's all going to perish. Only what we do for Christ will last. And so suffering purifies us. It purifies our thinking. It helps us get our priorities in the proper order. And we are blessed and happy as a result. Now turn over to Luke. We're blessed and happy as a result. Luke 6, 22 and 23. Jesus says this. This is probably a parallel account to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. You're in good company. You're in good company. We are blessed and happy as a result. We're to leap for joy. We're to leap for joy when we suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no greater privilege. That's what we saw the apostles doing in Acts 5 that we read a while ago. And then lastly, the second sub-point under the second heading is exaltation in that day. Exaltation in that day. Back in 1 Peter, the end of verse 13. Let me read it again. Verse 13. Uh, hold on. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. We're to keep on rejoicing, right? As we share the sufferings of Christ. So that, that word so that in verse 13, in order that at the revelation or at the appearance of His glory, you may rejoice in exaltation. Beloved, as we keep on rejoicing in our suffering with and for and because of Christ, it is preparing us to rejoice all the more when we see Him in all His glory. That's what it's doing. It's preparing us for that day. When we see Christ, when we see the eternal King in His full resurrected and ascended glory, like they saw Him on the Mount of Transfiguration, when we see Him on that day, this, this promise of our future joy spurs us on here in this life. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, energizes our joy now as we continually rejoice, waiting for that day when it says that we rejoice in exaltation. This word just means we rejoice greatly. We may have a lot of rejoicing here when we can't see Him, when we're suffering with Him and for Him, but on that day we will rejoice greatly, exceedingly. And the phrase means to jump for joy. Just like Christ said. We're going to jump for joy on that day. 
when we finally see Him face to face, whether He comes to you or you go to Him. Think of a loved one, beloved. Think of a loved one that you've been separated from, right? It's easy when you think about your spouse. But for those of you who are not married, maybe it was your parents at some point. Your, uh, if you have children, your children. Somebody that you cared for deeply and that you've been separated from. And, and, and you're anticipating the reunion. You're anticipating being gather, together again and, and you're rejoicing, right? You're rejoicing just thinking about it. I can't wait. Just thinking about being reunited with this person. But then you see them. Maybe, maybe they're picking you up at an airport. Or maybe you're picking them up at an airport. And, and, and the, you're rejoicing. It's finally here. The day's here. And then you see their face. You see their face. I see Paul looking over. You see their face. Your heart skips a beat, right? You finally, you see them. I've experienced that with my wife arriving back from Scotland and Jamaica and just, and then I see her in the airport and, and it's just that, just that embrace. I can't imagine guys being in the military. I never have experienced that. But that's what it is, guys. Listen to Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And inasmuch as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. To those who eagerly await Him. Do you eagerly await the return of Christ? Do you eagerly anticipate being with Him? That could say a lot about a person's spiritual condition. Do you eagerly await or is there dread? If there's dread, then there may be a problem. If there's dread, you need to examine where you're at with Christ. Okay, But do you eagerly await Him? And so in closing, the more... We are willing, okay? Remember the purpose of trials to test us, to, to purify us. The more we are willing to let go of our grip on the things of this world, right? That are going to perish. And the more that we're willing to share in the suffering of Christ by simply being obedient to Him, the more we're going to, we will eagerly await being with Him in all of His glory. Let's pray. Father, I know that this would not make sense in the eyes of the world, but we thank You for the gift of suffering. Father, some of us are even trying to still figure it out. But Lord, we, we thank You for the gift of suffering that You use it in our life to test us, to purify us, to draw us closer to You. That some of the, mo the most intimate times in our relationship with You is during those times when we suffer with Christ, for Christ. And so Father, I, I just pray, Lord, that our church, all of us, would, 
that we would expect it, that we would not be surprised or shocked when it happens, that we would embrace it, that we would rejoice in it, that we would know that because you are sovereign, because you are in control of everything, because all things happen according to your will and for your purposes, that we can rest in it, knowing that it's for our good. And so, Father, I pray that your people here today, that they would, that they would take this with them, Lord, these simple truths that we've looked at, Lord, and I pray that they would experience these in reality of, of suffering for you and, and learning how to rejoice in that. And you grow us. You grow us into stronger Christians when we do this, when we allow when we allow you to do your work in our hearts and lives. And so, Father, that's my desire for your people here today in our church, that we will learn how to suffer well and we'll learn how to rejoice as, as those around us are watching. Father, be with us the rest of our time during equipment hour. Be with us the rest of our day. Be with us the rest of our week. I pray your blessings upon everybody here in Christ's name. Amen.